0: Book of 1st Corinthians, where we're at. Book of 1st Corinthians. 1st Corinthians. What are some things we should keep in mind as we study the book of 1st Corinthians? What are we studying about? It's a carnal church. It's a carnal church. Now, carnal means that uh, you're what? You're worldly. I mean, and, and we know that uh, you can be carnal and you can be saved, uh, but we don't want to be, or we should not want to be carnal, shouldn't want to be carnal. Uh, part of the problems with the carnal church there in Corinth was that instead of the church invading the city, the city had invaded the church and the city uh, the church had a very casual view of sin, very casual view of sin. Matter of fact. One, uh, one member over here might think that their morality would allow them to do, and you fill in the blank. And another one might say, well, I can't do that, but I can do this. And they all seem to have their own sense of morality, and yet they did not have God's sense of morality. Sense of morality did not have God's standard. Last week in chapter 8, we talked about always putting the welfare of others before your personal desires when they conflict. Always put the welfare of others before your personal desires when they conflict. So you have a desire, you want to do this, but you've got someone over here that really has a need. What do you do? You put your desire aside and you go help meet their need. Let love lead when choices conflict. Put God and others first. The acronym, remember the acronym we talked about was joy, joy. What does that stand for? We said it stands for Jesus, others, and you. And that's the order that we need to think. Jesus first, others second, then I come third. I come third. We talked about immorality and we talked about uh, all moral. Uh, and uh, last week, I think I cleared it up that, that uh, you can like sports, but uh, if you like football over baseball, you're just wrong. We, we settled that. Oh, uh, no, sit out, sit on Rick. <laughs> oh, I kid. Uh, another example. Anybody else have another example of something that's all moral, that does not have, that you can do, that's not going to be sin, food, food. There are forms of entertainment. That are our morals, as long as they don't, uh, uh, do not have sin, does not involve sin. Uh, in chapter 9, we learned from Paul. Paul, we learned of who he was. It starts off in the first couple of verses. And then he began to speak of his rights, his rights as a Christian. And then he spoke about restraining his rights. I, didn't al- I don't always do those things, I rein them back, I rein them back in. He talked about tempering rights for the weaker brother. And Paul's life principle was this, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. That's found in verse 22 of chapter nine. Chapter nine. Tonight we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 10. Let's read the first five verses, if we will. It says, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all did eat the same spiritual meat, and all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Look at verse 5, But many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. I don't, don't know about you, but when I was growing up at the house, uh, I did not want to displease my parents, especially when I knew that my mother was going to tell my father, you know. I wanted to be well pleasing in their eyes. But here it's saying, but many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And I want us to think of that as we go to prayer at this time. God, I ask you at this time that you would be with us as we take a few minutes into the book of 1 Corinthians. God, that we might learn what it is to be a carnal church for Father, we don't want to be a carnal church. We want to be a spiritual church. We want to be a church that walks in unity, dear Lord. We want to be a church that we're filled with your Holy Spirit to the point that we would see you do miracles Not because of us, but God, simply because we've yielded ourselves, desiring to see you uh, and your name be magnified. We pray that that will happen this evening. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The strong and the weak. Strong and the weak. That's what we're talking about here. The strong and the weak. You know, strong Christians. What's a strong Christian? What's a weak Christian? A strong Christian is one that understands his liberty in Christ. His liberty in Christ. Well, what's our liberty in Christ? Well, ultimately, ultimately our liberty in Christ is to understand and know that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A strong Christian is strong in his understanding and the, the freedoms that he has in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about you have the liberty to go out here and just live like the world. That's what this carnal church was doing. They just lived like the world. That's not the freedom in Christ. My freedom in Christ compels me to not want to live like that. Take your Bibles open to the book of Romans. Book of Romans, if you will. Chapter six. Romans chapter six. We'll read some scriptures together. Romans chapter six. Verses 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. My liberty in Christ gives me the ability not to serve sin. Not to serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. The problem is, is we have Christians, children of God, that keep going back to that sin going back to the sin. We've been freed from that. We've been freedom, freedom from the constriction of, perhaps in this case here in the book of First Corinthians, they've been freed from the constriction of Jewish law and the sacrificial system. Take uh, you're still there in chapter six. I go over to verse 14. it says, "For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace." And I know that we know that when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, Christ has paid that penalty of sin, that debt, it's been paid, it no longer has power over me. But, child of God, we should walk and live our lives in such a way that we are not walking in sin. We should not act as though that it still has control over us. We shouldn't be a carnal Christian. shouldn't be a carnal Christian. Back to our chapter, which I just lost my place, chapter 10, chapter 10. Jump forward to verses 23 and 24. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. This kind of takes us back to the thinking of joy, uh, Jesus, others and then you. But not everything that we have the ability to do is good for us or good for those around us. We need to be wise as we go through this. We need to be the stronger brother. In chapter 10, Paul is warning the stronger brother particularly. He's trying to give him instruction. And this is written to the one who knows that they should be example to those that are learning, to the younger ones, the younger Christians. There are four things basically that the Israelites did that got them into trouble with God. And Paul cites in his warning this to his readers. First thing is idolatry, idolatry. Back to verse, <clears throat> let's pick it up verse 6 and then we'll go to 7. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, and rose up to play. Idolatry, idolatry, what is idolatry? I'll give you a definition. It's the worship of idols or excessive devotion or reverence for some person or thing. I need to point out that you could could be an idol of yourself. I could be an idol to myself. Money certainly is many people's idol. Let's look at some more scripture. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5 and verse. I've got the wrong verse. <laughs> I apologize. No. Nope. Okay, it'll come to me later. Let's go to Colossians 3 5. Colossians 3 5. Colossians 3 5. The Bible says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. What's mortify? What's mortify? Kill it, right? Kill it. Kill it. I mean, if you see a bug going across the floor, what do you do? You kill it. Kill it. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And it gives a list. This is, what this is what you're to kill: fornication. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, which is idolatry. Turn to First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, chapter one, verse nine. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to teach him here. Idols, idols. It's a reference here in verse 7 to the golden calf incident in Exodus 32. Remember Moses had gone up in the mountain. And they didn't see him for a while. So left to their own devices, what they did. What they do? They got all the gold together and they made a golden calf. And they're going to worship that. And God said, get you down to these people that you brought. He says, I'm going to have to deal with them. And Moses spoke on their behalf. But they were worshiping. The Corinthians were in danger of this when they participated in the pagan feasts. This idolatry. When the Corinthian Christians went to the feast in Corinth, they were associated with idolatry. Paul warns them that the danger of this and that they could fall into idolatries. I think that in our situation here, we need to know what things that we cannot be around that can lead us into an idolatrous worship. Worshiping idolatry. We're not to participate in them. I'm not to have an idol no idols, no one before God. So idolatry is one area that got the Israelites into trouble with God. Another one is immorality. Immorality, verse eight of chapter 10. Let me turn back there. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day uh, 23 and 20,000. A lot of them died when they became involved in immorality. It's a reference to the time when the Moabites invited the Israelites to join them in their feast, immorality accompanied by the pagan feast. Now, folks, we are... um, The word of God separates us from other groups. You know, a lot of people would say, why don't you just all get together and all just worship God? Because we're not all worshiping God the same way. We're not cut of the same faith. This one over here might believe that you can be saved and you can lose your salvation. Another one over here might believe that you have to work for your salvation. We don't participate in groups that we could get with Why? Because they could begin to mislead us. Some of the weaker ones would say, this is something good and fall into that and follow that. Numbers chapter 25, turn there with me if you will. Numbers chapter 25, Well, I've got it. Numbers 25 and verse 1, And Israel abode in Shittim, and, uh, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. See, they joined together here and didn't take long. And What was the response? They were getting involved in immorality. Immorality. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Thou shalt have no other god before me. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor and bowed down to their gods, uh, Baal Peor, and, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor." Aren't you glad we're not living in Old Testament days, an Old Testament time, Um, this day of grace, amen? And Moses said to the judges, "'Slay every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianish woman in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly so that the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Children of Israel. Immorality. Immorality. The Apostle Paul, so great at list, gives us a list of what's immoral. Galatians. Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. Verse nineteen. Now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envyings murders drunkenness revelings and the such like i said this is not a complete list there's more to it I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Immorality, immorality. Back to 1 Corinthians, go back to verse six, chapter six, chapter six, and verse 18. The first two words of this verse is very clear in its instruction. It says, flee fornication. If you were here a couple of months ago, we went through the list of fornication and what that was and what all that encompassed, what all that encompassed. Fornication, it's pornea. It's what we get pornography from. It's prostitution. It's whoredom. These are Bible words, Bible words. We're to flee fornication. It says, every sin that a man doth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication Sinneth against his own body. There's something, there's something different about fornication than other sins, than other sins. Turn to Acts chapter 15, the book that we're in on Sunday mornings. Acts chapter 15, we've not gotten there yet. The way we're going, it might be a couple of years. Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15. And verse twenty. And again, mm-hmm. I think I've got the wrong verse. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we write unto them that abstain from pl- oh no, but we write unto them that abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Idols. Will pollute us. Will pollute us. So we've got idolatry. We have immorality. And tempting of the Lord. Tempting of the Lord. Back into 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Serpents. Here Paul is telling the Corinthians that their carnal nature is trying the Lord's patience. Trying the Lord's patience. How many times as a child growing up, I tempted my parents. I tried their patience quite often. <laughs> quite often. Let's all be honest. We all battle self will. This is what I want. This is what I want. And basically, what it is, you're telling God, This is what I want. Comes from Numbers chapter 11. It's a chilling reminder of what happened to the Israelites when they murmured and whined about the condition that God had put them in. We're doing the same thing as the Israelites when we demand and whine for things. Be warned, preachers uh, preachers that preach health and wealth, that it's owed you by God. They're telling their congregations what they're demanding from Him, what they're demanding from Him. And then murmuring or grumbling also tempts the Lord. First Corinthians 10.10 10 again, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer, were destroyed of the destroyer. You know, the Corinthians were also grumbling about the Lord's table they were dissatisfied with it. Why? It did not look like the pagan feasts that they were used to. This is different. I don't like this. It was different. It was different. The Bible in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and in verse 14, it tells us, do all things without murmurings and disputings. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of God, a word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, in vain. Turn with me to Jude. Jude. So going through here, Jude's writing, verse 14, it says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against. These are murmurers. Complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage, murmurers, murmurers, grumbling. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We've talked about these four now we go to verse 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape it, that you may be able to bear it. Now, we use this scripture a lot. But when you're trying to go back and say, what is scripture saying at this point? Then there can be a lot of beatings it points back to the four things we just talked about. And so what Paul is saying that you can overcome these things. You can, God can make a way for you to not worship idolatry, to not commit immorality, to not tempt the Lord, to not murmur or grumble, to not murmur or to grumble. There was a boy in a class and he was not very good at spelling. This could have been me. How many learned to spell using phonics? Phonics. I didn't. <laughs> it's all memory. And the memory. I, I talk to people at work, and I'll say, if they'll ask me something, I'll say, well, if memory serves me, and it hasn't up to now, so I don't know why it should be any different. But I did it by just memorizing. You remember, you, you'd take a test of spelling, and so you'd, you'd write your spelling words out. Then you try to use them in a sentence so you knew what they were talking about, and you'd list them out. Anyway, memory. This boy was very poor at spelling. And so, consequently, when he took the test, he was tempted to cheat. He was tempted to cheat. And the teacher was watching him, and sure enough, he looked over at his neighbor's paper, and he copied down a word. Then as the teacher watched, she watched him as he just dropped his head. He took his paper and he tore it up. And after class, the teacher went to him and said, I saw what you did. And she said, I saw that you tore that paper up. She said, I just want to let you know, you passed the test. You passed the test, the test of his integrity. But Paul continues to warn the Corinthians about idolatry. You know, I don't know. I've heard a few messages on idolatry. But it seems in our Baptist churches a lot of times we don't preach against idolatry. I think in our minds sometimes we think the Catholic Church comes to mind and the statues and things like that. And we think of those things. But it's so much more. You need to go and allow God to examine your heart and say, God, point out to me, what are the idols in my life? What is it that I'm idolizing? It may be that individual that when you go to that mirror and look in it and see their reflection, it might be you. Very easily, it could be us. It could be ourselves. And yet the epistles have a lot to say about this. Idol worship was particularly uh, a source of temptation in the Corinthian culture, a source of in their culture, and it's very tempting in ours as well. We know people, we can idolize people. Growing up, I really enjoyed baseball, football. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to idolize that individually, the individual that seems to just always do everything right, but it seems so. You begin to idolize them. You want to be like them. You start to comb your hair like them if you have hair or possessions. You work hard for something. Nothing wrong with working hard and trying, and God allowing you and blessing you with something, but don't allow it to become an idol. Paul's litmus test, a litmus test is a decisive a test as to whether a Christian should participate in an, a moral activity. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 23, this is where he said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. This was his standard. He had the verse there and he, of course he wrote it, so he knew it. That's what he measured things against. He measured things against. The antithesis or the opposite of putting a stumbling block before somebody is doing something that will build them up. Instead of retarding their progress, you're helping them to accelerate or spur them on. You're trying to help to grow them. Yet so much of the time we are selfish in our own things and needs. The word edify means a building up in a moral and religious sense. It's instruction, improvement and progress of the mind in knowledge, in morals, or in faith and holiness. Verse 24 of chapter 10 tells us, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Another's wealth. Idolatry is excessive attachment or veneration, which is great respect or reference uh, for anything or that which borders on adoration go back, I love baseball, I adored baseball. A good preacher friend of mine said, you can't love things like that, (laughs) that's impossible. Well, I really liked them then, I adored them. Some of those baseball players, tell you when they were born, where they grew up, you know, Mickey Mantle was born in Spavinaw, Oklahoma. Now I know that because my grandfather actually knew the family, and my mom was actually born from from Spavinaw as well. But Proverbs chapter three says in verse seven it says, "Be not wise in thine own eyes; fear the Lord, and depart from evil." Romans twelve three, for I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Oh my, if you're like me, I have trouble there. Being transparent, I think that I'm a little bit better. George, I think I'm a little bit better than what I really am. You know, I can testify. But to think soberly, soberly. He's not talking about the alcohol. He's talking about regular, calm, not under the influence of passion. Soberly, a sober mind, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. A guy named Paul Tripp said this. He said, I'm deeply persuaded that we're addicted to the pursuit of self-glory. Because when we look in the mirror, we think we see someone who deserves to be glorified. Instead of using the mirror of God's word to keep our judgment sober, we see an aggrandize, which is an increase in power, a status of wealth, a version of the Bible says we actually are. You get to thinking that you're something. You mark it down. You've not been in God's word. Because this mirror of God's word will lay out exactly who I am. And it paints me as an ugly sinner that God died for. I have nothing to boast of. Nothing to boast of. I guess we can end here. So I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes if you will. I'll kind of wrap it up here with a conclusion. Talked about four things, idolatry, immorality, tempting the Lord, murmuring or grumbling. To wrap it up, I would say, are there some things or activities that you are participating in that may cause you to fall into idolatries? What activities are you allowing yourself to be a part of? In the business world that I am a part of, I have to be cautious not to allow myself to partake into something that can lead me down a path which would take me into idolatry. Remember, your liberty is to walk close to God, not far from Him. We need to learn to walk close to God. Are you finding yourself walking closer to immorality than you should? What is it about us that we have to get as close to the sin as we can without participating in it? What is it about us? Well, that's the old human nature. That's what it wants to do. That's what it wants to do. You know, we need to remember Job, one of our example. Book of Job tells us that he eschewed evil. That it means that he deliberately, he deliberately, on purpose, avoided it. He abstained from it. Sadly, as I said, many Christians want to get right on the edge, one on the, right on the edge. Do not be guilty of that. Do you tempt the Lord? Do you tempt the Lord? Oh, you say, I would never do that. Really? In your heart, what are the conversations of your heart? And finally, do you murmur? Do you murmur? Let me tell you something. Murmuring is an evil sin. Murmuring is one of the quickest way within the church body to cause a church to split. You get these little discussions going on. Somebody's just not, that's nothing big, but they're just not pleased with, and you fill in the blank. And so they begin to murmur. If you recognize that you have a murmuring problem, confess it to God, make it right tonight. Whatever your need might be, I'm here to tell you, God has the remedy and solution for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and using him to pin words that your holy spirit inspired him to do god i pray that we take these words to heart and that we would allow them to teach us and to fashion us to you i pray and ask these things in jesus name amen let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes